our wonderful listeners who are increasing by number week on week, very excitingly. So with a large audience comes a great responsibility. Therefore, we have to keep the media beat fresh, energetic and um, insightful. And I think we're going to do that this week. We've got tons to get through uh, as usual, but this is a real packed show. So uh, let's get on with it. I'm joined as ever by Maureen Kerr. Maureen is the partner who leads the media practice globally in Arthur D. Little, the world's oldest management consulting company, as we proudly state. I work for them too, would you believe? So we have quite a widespread of abilities within the organisation. And Claire Tavernier is our friend and she is a mistress of media. She has held an enormous amount of very high profile roles in media. She's a commentator on all things media and she still works as a consultant in media. And um, hello Maureen and hello Claire at the same time. Hello Oliver. Hello Claire. Hi Oliver. Hi Maureen. Hi everyone. Indeed. So uh, we have to dive in straight into our deep dive. Uh, They're becoming a classic feature now and uh, people are asking for them. So uh, the deep dive this week is all about sports media rights. We touched on this when we had uh, the terrifically entertaining and um, knowledgeable Jeff Nathanson a few weeks ago. Um, But we thought it it warranted its own deep dive uh, as well. So, um, Claire, as usual, I'm going to come to you. Uh, It's uh, a massive thing uh, I assume uh, media sports rights I'm a great consumer of sport myself but can you uh, as you usually do just give us that um, all-round brief about this uh, area of media why it's so important and um, what's happening at the moment Claire well Oliver because this is such a, a, a historically rich uh, topic. I went to our friend ChatGPT and asked them uh, to give me some pointers on sports media history, and indeed uh, it, they did. So I'm going to give you a little bit of a historical overview and then tell you why it's important right now. Uh, sports events have been broadcasted ever since television existed. So in the early television era of the 50s and 60s, this is basically the first, well, some of the first programs to be televised. So NBC, CBS, ABC in the, U- in the US started securing rights to, you know, major sports events. And then internationally, things like the Olympics became the huge events in this sort of emerging television uh, platforms. We moving on to the 60s, 70s, and then 80s sports leagues. And when we talk about sports leagues, these are the people who sort of, you know, take the take the the, the interests of a bunch of sports teams in the same field and represent them. So NFL, National Football League, which doesn't deal with what we call football, but this other sport that makes no sense. Uh, in the US, uh, the MLB, which is the baseball one, of course, in Europe or indeed internationally, we have. We have FIFA, we have UEFA as well, uh, which is a, yes, sorry, <laughs> which is another another one. Uh, and they became, they began, they began negotiating deals with, with their, for their rights, for the rights to the, the league games. And in fact, one of the, very much one of the uh, leaders in that field was the English Football League, which is now called the English Premier League, which was, uh, very instrumental in in making sure that those prices would go up and up and up, and that was because everybody wanted to watch the games on television. 
In the 70s and 80s, cable television launched, and those were the sort of dedicated sports network, ESPN, which launched in 79, is obviously the, the most famous one, the American one, but that's true also across Europe. And then in the 80s and 90s, what we've seen is really the explosion of these major international sports events like the World Cup and the Olympics that everybody wanted to watch. And so those events became absolutely massive in terms of the money they were able to generate in when selling those rights. Um, as we move into where are uh, the current area, what we see, what we've seen is first of all the emergence of pay TV platforms. So here in the UK, we have Sky Sports, which is a pay TV platform, very similar equivalent platforms in most uh, European and and uh, other continent uh, countries to where people pay subscriptions to be able to see their their, their games, uh, and then slowly. The, the emergence of digital and streaming platforms quite slowly, actually. This is one area where, where sport didn't take the lead, where they were sort of later, and partly it's because streaming sports events live, you know, takes up a lot of bandwidth and it, was, it just wasn't ready for it. But in a world where there's increasing fragmentation of content, where it's very hard to get very large audiences watching the same thing at the same time, the value of sports rights, and this is where it's important, the value of sports rights has just skyrocketed. And to give you an idea, uh, the annual sports media rights spend in the US, UK, France, Germany, Spain, Italy, and Australia rose by 68% between 2014 and 2022. So it went from $21 billion to $35 billion. Uh, according to a recent analysis by by Amper Analysis, so that gives you an idea of of how much value these rights have. Still, it's important to note that this is true of the major sports. It doesn't necessarily expand. I'm looking at Maureen, who I know is a netball fan. Uh, it doesn't uh, naturally expand to smaller. I'm going to say niche. Sports. This is very much about football, the European football, uh, Olympics, and then and then the American sports. But still, enormous numbers. What's happened, and the reason, part of the reason these numbers have gone uh, so high, is that what sports leagues have been doing is is slicing and dicing these rights as much as possible. So where in 2014 there were 5.7 rights holders on average per market. Uh, today, there are seven on average, which means that there are more places. If you're a casual sports viewer, it's actually quite good news because it means there are more places that you're likely to be able to watch some of the sports. If you're a core sports fan, it means you probably have to subscribe to more services in order to watch every single game of, you know, the the Lakers or, the, or Manchester United. So, if, for instance, if we look at Germany... Uh, and this is all based on this very good report by Amper Analysis, by the way. Uh, Sky Deutschland used to used to have 62% market share in 2014, and they're down to 40 now. They're still a market leader, but they're down to 40. And then we have a, a new player like the Zun, the Zun, <laughs> uh, which uh, which has emerged quite recently. It was zero in 2014, didn't exist. It was 7% in 2018, and it's 26% in 2022. So what you're seeing very much is the fragmentation of those rights in order to increase the value. At what point does it become unsustainable for sports fans to continue to add to their subscription packages? So on average, sports fans have 3.3 subscription packages, whereas 
non-sports fan have only 3.1. That's obviously not true for everybody because they have definitely more than 3.1. Uh, but this this is an average. And, and it looks like it's continuing to go up because that's the only way that they can have access to to the to the content they want to see. So the question is, at, at what point does it become unsustainable? Doesn't look like it's stopping. We're having streamers moving in. Apple is considering bidding for Formula One rights. They're considering a very, very large bid. Uh, Amazon Prime has already bid for a number of sports events. Netflix has been talking about it. So far, they haven't really done much. But there's there's no reason to think that this very, very lucrative area, uh, era, yeah, area is going is going anywhere. And I'm going to stop now. <laughs> Take a big breath and hand over to Maureen for her thoughts. Wow, Claire, I don't think there's anything <laughs> to add to that. You have just traversed five decades of sports history. Sorry, no longer than that. I think it was uh, you started in the 50s, so 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 almost almost 70 years of sports history in in a matter of uh, eight minutes. So uh, I don't think there's anything much to add to that. Um, Wonderful, wonderful setting. Um, I, I guess it's just it's just maybe one comment to, 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 to make, and I think we touched on this a few um, podcasts ago, and that was that was really sort of touch on this sort of the fragmentation aspect, which um, which you've pointed out absolutely. But it's this idea of you know will that uh, in some way you know cause an issue for the for the fans, where they will then start to have to increase the number of subscriptions. And I think you also pointed out that that those in order to watch your favourite um, shows or favourite sports programmes or live sports, you need at least now three three to four subscription packages to do that. So that's uh, that's clearly going to cause you know some sort of uh, problem over the next couple of years in this fiscal tightening environment. But yeah, live sports and sports, people will people will stop feeding their dog in order to watch the sports. So maybe that's not going to uh, cause an issue. But I shouldn't really say that because that's probably inappropriate. <laughs> so um, but separately, I would add only one one thing, which was um, I, I guess we touched on this before. But this 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 idea that investing in sports and sports rights and um, the way around that and the way to build up an audience that is looking for um, uh, sports, sports programs, and sports uh, persons. So we were talking about Messi a few podcasts ago, and of course now Apple's pushing quite quite heavily in that direction for programming. Um, and I think you can do that. You can buy the rights, and then you can also start with sort of you know building an audience around sort of the the, the, the programs. And I, and I think Apple has probably got this lovely combination now. Um, I think they point they said that they probably weren't going to go down the rights um, avenue, but you know, weren't really open about that, but clearly now, if they are going to strive to get into the auction process for Formula One, that's going to be really interesting to see. So, yeah, um, yeah, I don't think there's anything me, for me to add to your wonderfully comprehensive um, the history of sports and leading up to today. So, but it's yeah, what a fantastic deep dive, Claire. <laughs> Thank you. The pressure is on. <laughs> Thankfully, Chad GPT was there to help me. I will say one other thing that I didn't cover. Obviously, the subscription and pay TV and subscription have been have been a big feature of sports rights, but linear channels are are still very present. And sometimes it's because regulation is there to 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 make sure that certain events. Uh, are on linear television and are not gated and, uh, and are available for everybody to watch for free. But it's also because 
if you're an ad-supported network, the sort of money you can make from advertising around some of these big events is absolutely incredible. And, it, and there are fewer and fewer places where you can really get that sort of money. And so the, the example that everybody always gives, which I'm now going to give, is, is Super Bowl commercials. So Super Bowl is this massive sporting event in the US uh, and a 30 set that a lot of people watch and it's on it tends to be on NBC uh, and the 30 second Super Bowl commercial was in 2015 was worth 4.25 million dollars and in 2023 it was worth seven million dollars so if you wanted a 30 second ad during the super bowl in the us in 2023 it would cost you seven million dollars and so there's just there aren't that many other places where you can get that sort of money in fact there are no places where you can get that sort of money in advertising so that's still a very very important revenue source for for a lot of linear broadcasters and it's worth remembering that it's an absolute nightmare if you like following sport. You're quite right. I did a sort of ready reckoning as to how much I spend to watch uh, the greatest football team the world has ever seen uh, in the Premier League. The top of the Premier League at the moment. So uh, that gives you a clue as to uh, who it might be, Tottenham Hotspur. Uh, well, yeah, it would give us a clue if we were following the Premier League. But yes. Okay. Yeah. So I gave you an even more clue by actually mentioning the name of the thing. It's a, it's a nightmare. But oh, my word, it's so worth it. Uh, uh, um, anyway, so that was brilliant. A, a broad and deep uh, sweep through sports media rights. Uh, brilliant. Fascinating subject. Oh, and by the way, if you do have a subject that you would like uh, Claire to deep dive and Maureen to comment on, please contact us on our LinkedIn page. And LinkedIn give you a lovely URL as well. So it's so easy to remember. Uh, our URL is www.linkedin.com slash company slash 9294 slash admin slash feed slash posts. So that's good of them, isn't it? So uh, easy to find us. Or you could just go into LinkedIn into the search bar and type the media beat podcast and that's probably the easier way to do it going to linkedin search bar the media beat podcast and any suggestions you have for one of the world famous deep dives and commentary from claire and maureen please type it in there and we will endeavor to satisfy your need thank you very much for that ladies that was awesome as ever and we have to move on to the regular slot that is in the news And first, we go to our intrepid field reporter, Maureen Kerr, who has picked up some interesting intel, re a shareholder activist. Shareholder activist is one of those great new phrases that's been used all over the place now. I absolutely love it. And uh, this shareholder activist is causing waves at one of our favourite firms, friend of the show, Disney. Maureen has that story. Maureen? Yes, Oliver. Uh, we are following Disney, of course. Week in, week out, there is some news. And uh, Nelson Peltz has come back uh, from uh, uh, a position of strength, um, and more strength. In 2020, um, it uh, was uh, very noisy on the board of uh, Disney, uh, trying to shake up activity there. Uh, Nelson Peltz uh, and his company, the Trion Partners, is back in force um, we have seen, um, of course, the share prices dipped quite considerably um, over the last few weeks. We're down above double digits. So that's sort of, you know, above 10 percent, 13 percent, I think, is the latest uh, uh, number that I have. Um, and that's quite significant uh, for the stock price of, of Disney. Now, in that situation, um, usually you get rumblings, um, but this is more than just rumblings. Uh, 
uh, you have Nelson Peltz, who's basically now got a significant share, um, almost 2% uh, share of Disney, Disney stock. Um, that's probably one of the largest shareholders. So we'll probably in the matter of weeks start to command or did ask for uh, a number of board seats, which will then, if they are granted, we'll see some movers and shakers. Um, what does this actually mean? Well, he in particular wants to see some true action against the statements that Bob Iger made in the last uh, year or so. And that is, you know, um, uh, restructuring of Disney Plus, uh, restructuring of theme parks, um, looking specifically at turning a profit and when they turn a profit for uh, the streaming services, Disney Plus, and asking specifically that to, to, to not even consider selling ESPN. So there's some real strong demands coming out of this activist. Um, and I guess the most significant thing is at the moment, you think the board uh, is probably supportive of Bob Iger, given that they renewed the contract for two years. Well, um, that was the case in Bob Chepek's days when uh, they also supported uh, Bob. And within five minutes of the rumblings of Nelson Peltz, um, he was uh, ousted. So we don't know. We've been monitoring this. We've been looking at this. Um, we're still waiting to see how uh, Igor specifically reduces expenses that he said um, to lower sort of content spend more broadly, to restructure uh, the, the, the whole of the organization. Still too slow for the likes of the activists. So watch this space and see what happens. But I think we're going to see something quite uh, significant happening um, in the boardrooms uh, quite shortly of uh of 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 our lovely our lovely and humble disney organization could this finally be bob Iger's reckoning that's the question dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Um, we'll see we'll see we'll see we'll see because because you know i think you know he might be safe with the contract but as 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 intimated there um you know bob chepak you know thought he was safe and then was kicked out so let's see yeah I think there's a lot of uh, not sure aspects to this, but I think it, it does warrant a good shake-up because I think Disney does need to get his act together. Um, and, you know, you do need some sometimes outside forces to, to do that. Corporate Game of Thrones, shareholder agitators, lovely, great. Just the kind of story we like on in the news. Uh, that's great, Maureen. Thank you uh, uh, so much uh, for giving us that. Shows the democratic nature of corporations that uh, people can have their say based on what share they have. Perfect democracy if you have millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars. Uh, so that's great. Let's keep an eye on that one uh, in, in, uh, in the news central office. Moving on, the next story. Interesting, yes. Audiobooks, we all love them because I can't be bothered to read real books. It makes my eyes hurt. So I absolutely adore audiobooks. But Spotify is moving into audiobooks as well. Not at all surprising, seeing as they are producers of digital sound. Uh, Claire, you have that story. Yes, it's a very interesting story, I think, on several levels. It's interesting because Amazon has been owning the audiobook world through Audible, actually quite an expensive project, product audible for for amazon they haven't bundled audible with with their other uh, amazon prime services uh, they've kept it separate uh, they've kept it as a sort of premium product they have made deals with publishers and authors that um that were i think generally relatively fair 
for once. Uh, but also because of the price point, it does, it has limited to some extent the growth of audiobooks. Uh, Spotify is coming in, and since beginning of October, since the fourth of October, has uh, allowed their primary um, account holders. And I say this because, for instance, we have a family subscription of Spotify, and I'm the only one who has access to the audiobooks. So it's not absolutely everybody; it's the primary account holder to listen to up to 15 hours of audiobooks a month included in their in their subscription, which, by the way, has increased price, as we will cover later on in the podcast. So this is very much the bundling strategy that Amazon, apart from audiobooks, has done for everything else, which is, you know, we want to own audio, which is very much, uh, I'm a, this is very much Spotify's strategy. We want everything audio to go through us. Audiobooks is an obvious one. We want people to desert Audible and come to us, and so we're going to include it into their subscription. Very interesting. I am very happy because I, I certainly have access. To, it's a bit like a sort of library service. I didn't have all, all of this, and suddenly I have access to, to a lot of audiobooks because Spotify did a lot of deals with major publishers. The authors are not as happy because they haven't really been consulted. Uh, and so they don't really know what it means for us. The, they are talking to their musician friends who are saying that Spotify's payouts aren't great and that streaming isn't a really good way of, of making money. And so they are quite concerned by this move. And I think at some point Spotify will have to manage that. But a very interesting move, I think. Uh, let's wait and see what happens. Yeah, I was quite surprised about the uh, about the react because it was an announcement that that I don't think anyone was aware that was that was coming. Um, and I'm, I'm I'm wondering what the how the publishers are going to react. Um, so the Macmillan. Well, the, the deals were made with the publishers, so the, the oh, publishers they, know they are done. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. The, the publishers, the authors. okay. It, but the yeah, the authors weren't informed. Uh, and we don't know what the deal is with the publisher, and we don't know if it's a trial deal. It's also not everywhere. It's in the UK and Australia at the moment. But I guess the authors, um, but I don't know, the authors shouldn't be too concerned given the publishers have done the deal. So I would imagine their contracts still remain in place with whatever the revenue share is between the author and uh, and, the, and the publishing house. So why they yes, would be up in arms, I'm not where, sure. How much money? How much money are they getting from Spotify for each book? Listen to. That's yeah. the. That's what we don't know. So yeah, especially yeah, it's since it's bundled into the subscription, so there's no more money coming in. Yeah. That's that's the bit that is um, that. Well, we shall see. It'll be an interesting story to follow. So is the idea that uh, it, it's the publisher that sets the deals that allows the book price to be anything that the seller of the book, whether it's audio or in uh, analog format, uh, decides? So it could be that um, Spotify sells, in quotes, the book cheaper than Audible does, and that does have an effect on the author. Is that how the contracts work, Claire? Well, it depends on the countries. There are certain countries where price, book prices are fixed by the government, uh, like France. In fact, the government in France has now uh, done something else, which is that uh, if you buy books online, the whoever you buy it from, they need to charge you for shipping. Uh, there's right. a flat shipping fee because that was they felt that Amazon was unfairly competing against online booksellers in France. And so even Amazon, now, even if you're a prime customer of Amazon in France, if you buy a book, they will charge you, I think, three euros for, for shipping. So th there are 
there are a number of countries where price book prices are quite regulated and then in in other places uh they are not and you can do a lot but also audiobooks don't do it's slightly different category of rights i suspect contractually and so it, it may not fall into the same the same area yeah Oh well, let's let's keep an eye on it. And, and sticking with you, Claire, things are happening at Netflix. See, things are always happening at Netflix. A, a real friend of the yes. show, uh, and this time it's in the ad team. Yes. Well, a year ago, uh, Netflix uh, decided to launch an ad business. I think we may have talked about this in, on the podcast once or twice, possibly. And they hired uh, uh, Jeremy Gorman, uh, who to 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 take it over and launch it and she's leaving and she is being replaced by Amy Reinhardt who is who is the VP of studio operations uh, which means uh, she, she's an in, insider as it were at Netflix and not somebody with with um, advertising background whereas Jeremy obviously had a strong advertising sales background uh, so that's interesting there are rumors of uh, cultural clashes and I can well believe that that's the case. I think, you know, we if we've worked in television, you know that ad sales people and content people don't necessarily go, not necessarily gel very well together. And Netflix was an organization that had never done any any ads, uh, ad sales. And I can imagine that that cultural integration may have been quite complicated. It's, an, it's a slightly odd move. Netflix is not doing amazingly well on the ad sales front certainly they've been a bit quiet recently uh it may be that bringing somebody in from the inside and an insider who has the connections who can build consensus internally is the way to go but obviously she's much less she's much less experienced when it comes to actually driving sales so we will see how that develops but yeah news from netflix brilliant well spotted um, and now we move to Maureen. Ah, yes. Now, this is something that's bothering a lot of people. Um, well, probably everybody who consumes any kind of media in any format whatsoever. Uh, there seems to be a trend for subscription prices everywhere to be going up. Maureen, you have that story. Oh, yes. Um, yeah. And, and it's interesting, the announcement. Um, so we can either... Uh, draw some sort of correlation between, you know, the writer's strike and uh, the success of, uh, of, 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 of one, that, that being brought to a close, but to certain of the, um, the arrangements. And of course, there is a, a 5% sort of increase, let's say, levy on, uh, on the writers. So, of course, that's got to be paid for by someone. Um, and so it's interesting that Netflix has, or it's, it's proposed, we don't know all the details, uh, to start to put through some increasing in, in pricing of, of, of their subscription packages. As we all know, um, um, before the summer, they were um, they were cutting off and they were axing, you know, some of those lower tier uh, prices of the ad, let's um, say so the ad free packaging. Um, and it's interesting they're, they're coming up with um, increases are to the tune of, I mean, it's almost 50%, you know, um, increasing on their existing ad free tier. Um, again, motivated possibly by the price inflation that they will from the writer's um, uh, contractual arrangements or, or, some, or something else. Um, I did read somewhere, though, that if you were to really seriously believe that the writer's uh, increase in, um, in, in ask, 
uh, and translate that as a percentage of the impact on Netflix, uh, Netflix's overall global revenues, it is quite specifically low. <laughs> so uh, one wonders whether or not it really does have anything to do with uh, uh, the writer strike, or if this is a this is an opportunity just to sort of put some prices up. But but you know perhaps you could also counter that and say artificially, you know, they have been kept. Uh, at a lower rate, um, even though they have, as an organization, had to deal with the inflation that has come with content uh, content, content spend. So, um, yeah, both both parties or both conspiratorial sort of views can, can sit uh, on either side. So, uh, so who knows? Um, but nonetheless, across the board, you make that point, Oliver, that that everyone is coming out with either, um, you know, increase in pricing and or introduction of subscription packages. So if we were to, to canter through, um, let, let's say, let's say all of the major players. So, so yeah, Meta in particular is planning to add an ad free subscription option for, for Facebook and Instagram. Um, yeah, that is also triggered by certain um, uh, let's say regional uh, data privacy rules and the like. So there are different sets of reasons as to why we're starting to see um, subscription op options and or ad free packages. Um, so there is there is an element here of optionality. Um, if we go to TikTok, TikTok is also testing, you know, an ad free subscription subscription tier as well. Um, pricing you know, quite sort of minimal, let's say, and I say minimal in terms of what, what the standards are. Um, and then, and then, and then also, um, we're hearing, of course, a lot about, um, about X and of course, with, with the new CEO, Linda, you know, with, uh, her own, um, advertising, um, uh, background, she's, she's exploring absolutely everything and anything and introducing a whole new set of, uh, again, optionality and options in order to bring back, uh, the advertisers that were lost. Um, she's also, you know, trying to figure out, uh, ways of, uh, subscription packages, value added product offerings from gaming to other, but also the ad, ad free element to, uh, to, to that to counter the advertising, um, aspect that is also required to fuel revenues. Um, and in particular, staying with X, we saw, and I was quite surprised by this, but if you strip out all of the, um, the, 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 the cash costs to, uh, offset the debt that, um, that X uh, has leveraged um, through the acquisition, um, it looks like uh, they're doing quite a decent job at bringing back advertisers to cover the costs and looks like they could well be cash uh, break even. So that's a, that's kind of an interesting, an interesting story in itself. But yeah, so, so yeah, across the board, yeah, prices are going up, no real surprise. But what is surprising is very much some 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 of the underlying reasons for it and or the timing of some of these price increases. Um, so yeah, that's what it's, you're it's seeing also across the board. Interesting to mention uh, YouTube Premium, which has been going on for quite a few years quietly, uh, and but has recently announced that they actually had. Uh, I think 80 million subscribers, which I was completely shocked about because I always assumed it was tidy, but apparently it's not. So they have slowly re, uh, managed to create a very decent um, subscriber, so subscription-based business alongside their 
advertising success. And so uh, if you know, you're thinking about Facebook and TikTok, they're probably looking at this going like, hmm, interesting. Uh, that might be something that we may want to invest in as well. Yes. I mean, gosh, 80 million. And I remember back in the day when they first introduced Red, which was probably about, uh, I don't know now, eight years ago. Was it eight years ago? Maybe. Uh, yeah, yeah probably I was going to say 2015 approximately. Yeah, yeah, something like 2015 or something like that. And they only managed to get one million subscribers. So, yeah, slowly persevering. That's what I like about these organizations. If you find something you're really good at, just keep at it and just keep working at it. And if you to use a trope of uh, um, Wayne's World, if you book them, they will come. <laughs> beautiful, uh, beautiful, uh, the deep, um, uh, deep cut back into a popular culture there, Maureen. Lovely. Um, are they always really looking for an equilibrium, aren't they? Really, these 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 big beasts. They're looking for an equilibrium between maximum number of advertisers, advertisements that people will cope with on a particular platform, but also that sweet spot of, of, of the amount of adverts that will cause people to actually pay to get rid of them. It feels like there's an equilibrium point which which data is constantly driving one way or the other. Um, is, that, is that a decent or reasonable way to think of it, Maureen? I think that's not bad, Oliver. You know, <laughs> usually I jump. Yeah. Usually I jump on your case when you try to use some sort of economic um, yeah. analysis. But yeah, I think that's a fair. It's a fair. It's a fair assumption. You're absolutely right. They're trying to find a middle ground. Yeah, absolutely. And trying to, you know, data. That's why dynamic pricing is really valuable um, here for for all of these players. They're constantly looking at what content should go where and whether or not they can charge for it or whether or not you can sit next to an advertiser so they're still trying to figure that out um, in particular both Netflix and Disney of course who put in ad funded um, uh, models um, last year they're trying to figure out how they can get the content uh, next to that or carve up the continent uh, carve out the content in order to put in you know commercial um, spots so uh, yeah it's a, it's, a, it's a tricky one for them they're constantly looking at it and oh, we, you know, I, I, this this always makes me laugh. YouTube's doing their subscriber thing quietly. The other people who are doing the advertising thing quietly, uh, much more quietly than Netflix and Disney, but actually I think quite successfully are Amazon. They have now launched a number of ad-funded channels on Prime. They had they have a lot of ad-funded content. They've somehow managed to manage frequency relatively well. Frequencies, you know, the number of times you see the same ad, and it's one of the biggest problem with some of these platforms. And it seems to be they seem to be coping quite well. And uh, yes, it's interesting. We'd, I'd love to see some stats on that. We'll have to look it up and cover it. At a further later stage. Well, I think we've um, we've uncovered another story, which is uh, Maureen vaguely agrees with uh, with uh, one of my um, expert summary economic based data comments, which I'm absolutely thrilled about. That's going to make my weekend. Uh, this 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 calls for a special celebratory pot emoji, I think, Oliver, which yeah. I will let you uh, create. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's probably a little stick man bouncing up and down going yay with a flag or something like that. Um, yeah. little, the little bean man that you used to get in Microsoft Word uh, who could show, who could show oh, yeah. um, happiness so so brilliantly uh, with with a, a, a very small amount of artistic talent. Uh, thank you very much. That was a good one. Absolute doozy. That was uh, that's, uh, the last story and therefore that is in the news. 
So we all know what happens now. It's pod moji time. Uh, we've got quite a quite a few to get through here as well, actually, because a lot's been going on. So let's start. I am going to start with you, Maureen. And uh, oh, goodness me, breaking news, actually. Uh, the Activision acquisition. Oh, yeah, right. So so as, as you recall, uh, the Brits uh, early in the year said uh, said no to Microsoft acquiring um, Activision, a significant deal and a sort of, you know, almost industry changing uh, deal. Um, uh, then they took the uh, they took this to the uh, to the continent and uh, they said yes. And guess what? The British have now come back and said yes. So it's all going to be done. Uh, there's a few caveats. So I'm like, whoa, that's really interesting. <laughs> the whoa emoji, Claire. Have oh, this, here we go. This is my prop of the day. It's oh. a little fox. Uh, it's it's a uh, stuffed fox. I, I, it's crawling through the finish line. I think that's how it is. You know, they announced this deal in January 2022. Uh, they got there because they finally did what the CMA wanted, which is get rid of cloud gaming. Which, to be honest, they didn't. They weren't that fussed about. So I think it was it was one of these things that made everybody accept you know it was the it was a saving face kind of thing for everyone but still it has been a really painful it must have been very disruptive probably for microsoft but i would assume as well for activision blizzard and king waiting for a year and 10 months almost two years to know whether the acquisition was going through or not so uh, the ones that are doing quite well out of it i think in the end weirdly are ubisoft which um they have they, they're now going to get the cloud gaming that microsoft's had to sell which admittedly at the moment isn't very big but could become bigger uh so certainly a lot of people think it's going to get bigger so yeah it's happened yay Yay, indeed. And uh, I'm assuming that you don't have to hand a cuddly tortoise or a cuddly snail because uh, you're using an animal that's uh, usually associated with cunning rather than crawling over a finish line. No, but he's crawling. Very... <laughs> I see. The crawling fox, uh, as we, will, we've all heard of. The... Yeah, penguin. Penguin would have been better. because yeah, the penguin. The penguin goes across the screen there. Elegant in water, not so good when coming up with large corporate deals. Thank you. Stay with you, Claire, for you too. I'm not sure you're a fan. Might find out in a minute. You too and the Vegas Sphere or the Sphere in Vegas. Claire. Yeah, I'm not like a massive fan of YouTube, but uh, they opened the Las Vegas Sphere, which is a new venue that features the world's largest LED screen. Uh, and it's meant to host live events and it, uh, it seats uh, 18,000 people, or you can have 20,000 standing. I'm way too old to do standing, so I will only go if I can sit. But uh, the, the, the seats in this concert, some of them were priced around $400. So, you know, it's, 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 not, it's not exactly, uh, you know, something that you do for the weekend. But apparently it was amazing. It, it, was, uh, it was a really brilliant technology-driven show with incredible graphics, uh, you know, it's sort of hologram-type things. I don't know. Uh, but it was beautiful and amazing. And we shall see, you know, if you're ever going to Vegas, go in go and see the sphere if you have $400 to spare and you like YouTube. YouTube's not staying. They just did the first concert and now it's going to be a, a more different programming going forward. Just I should say this. 
That just sounds amazing. No, I don't know. What's the fudge moji? I'm putting foot I'm, I'm, I'm putting the it's fox in a, fox. in a circle, so it's a sphere. Yeah. Look, it's a fox sphere. So, I'm assuming you don't have a cuddly blowfish uh, to hand in that case. The most, no, is the most versatile fox ever. That's more round. Yeah. The panda is more yes, round. It does sound box. amazing. Very versatile. Yeah. I think you two is the kind of act I'd probably tolerate rather than go see. But shame on you, Claire, for not standing at gigs. You are so much younger than me, and I'm still bouncing up and down with my kids at gigs uh, until the back oh, I can stand and bounce up and down, but then I want to sit down. <laughs> well, you know, you get to sit down eventually. Anyway. Well, I'm sure. I'm sure you've got it. Uh, yeah. Maureen, uh, you two, are you a fan of you two, Spheres, Vegas, that kind of thing? Oh, look, That's my sphere. sphere. That's my oh, you've sphere. Actually got a sphere. Okay, well much smaller. I've got a sphere. sphere. I've got a sphere, but it's 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 there we go. But I want a big shout out to an artist, the first artist in residence called Rafik Anadol, uh, who uh, basically is creating some amazing um, artwork uh, using algorithms, using uh, AI uh, to work in the, the and for the sphere. So I'm a big proponent, actually. I I, I love it. Um, let's see what, what what they they create. So here's my here's my here's well, that my sphere. That sounds more fun than, than the YouTube content. That sounds more fun than, than YouTube. Exactly, exactly. Well, I think if there's an artist. We should do a trip and we can do a live podcast of oh, Las Vegas. Oh, definitely uh, need a roadshow. Yeah. Show. yeah. I, yeah, my my aunt lives in Utah and she often goes down to Las Vegas. So we could we could All maybe right. there we go we, there we go we could do that. Uh, so yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that'd be that'd be great. So I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan so far from what I've seen. I've seen some some really interesting images from inside. Yeah, it does look very expensive, but I I also read um, that they had the uh, they had this sort of atmospheric sort of. Uh, 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 like movement in the chairs they have like sprays of scent and steam Ooh. and so on and you a real life experience a real life experience i mean this is what should be the metaverse you know uh so i yeah i'm i'm, I'm can i just I'm say going, we're going on a slight yeah. tangent here but i did yeah. go to in at, at the detroit zoo of all places to one of these 4d experimental uh production and it was a shrek movie and the and the the the, the piece de resistance was that Shrek farted and we got some wind <laughs> but, but played, you know, pushed in our face. And I, I, I'm not sure that worked for me, but completely honest, the kids loved it. <laughs> but they, if you go to, and, and I'll show, I, I took my niece, so this is not me going, but if you go to the, uh, the South Bank and you go into Shrek Adventures, uh, as you enter, <coughs> there is this... Uh, puff of wind and smoke and I, I i didn't know if it was his passing wind i just thought it was a kind of like you're, you're being moved into this environment but it was quite rudimentary but it was like certainly you set off on your mm. journey within shrek so that i mean the idea of the passing wind not yeah. great but the idea of the the idea of that sort of sense of you know you're, you're part of it. i i love that i love that idea i think you you experienced something lovely there claire <laughs> Or like being sprayed with some of uh, Bono's sweat. Ago, so. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just like, I don't know what Bono smells like or what his essence is, but so, when you say <laughs> no, that's not, let's not, let's not stay on that let's image. Not moving on, smell. Let's not moving on, moving on. Those immersive, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. performative things, like the ABBA thing, they are uh, extremely, uh, it's great. Yeah. It's great. Another way to yeah. see live, live entertainment. That's, that's pretty. And you use the phrase piece de resistance. What's that in French, Claire? 
it's a good question. I think we would say pièce de résistance, but not oh, quite I'm... as often as people say it here, to be honest. Yeah, like bon voyage <laughs> and uh, cul-de-sac. Right, um, that's good. So, yeah, the sphere gets, I think, the thumbs up. It gets, um, uh, and uh, you two are the kind of band that would fill a sphere. I don't know whether we would on our roadshow. I don't know how much it costs a book, but I'm certainly... Very keen to meet your auntie, auntie from Utah, Maureen. Uh, that would be, uh, be fantastic. So uh, let's move on. So I am going to go to Maureen. Uh, yes, this thing in The Economist. So The Economist is saying, and it's probably just a provocative article, but maybe it's true. Uh, AI is taking over everything. Uh, no, it's not. Uh, calm down, everybody. But uh, what uh, is this all about The Economist uh, in terms of an emoji, Maureen, um, when they're saying that AI might mean the end of the iPhone? What's going on? Well, well, actually, you know, um, I I'm I'm. I think I think Zuckerberg is onto something here, and we were just discussing. Look about the the whole environment and the metaverse and this wonderful environment that we can find ourselves in. Why do we have to hold this? What is almost like three kilos, you know, of of a, of a device uh, just to start communicating and talking to people and watching stuff? I love my iPhone. You know, I'm not I'm not saying otherwise. But I mean, this is this is an idea that can you have a VR? Or an AI kind of environment, sort of virtual reality and augmented reality environment. We know that uh, Meta has invested significant amount of money in this in this area, um, and we're going to start to see, you know, the fruits of of that investment. Of course, for the last couple of years, um, you know, the investors have been really peeved by Zuckerberg, saying, "Where's all my money gone?" Um, but I reckon that maybe his timing is right. That he'll come up with some sort of, you know, that that the, the set, uh, not the big set, that some sort of environment way that we can start to use to talk be an environment you know um so quest three is something that uh, that zuckerberg is pushing and i think i think the economist uh, got ahead of itself slightly but saying oh yes the the end is nigh for the iphone but i think there's some merit in this discussion that why do we need these physical devices uh you know loading us down when we can probably have a pair of spectacles or, uh, or, 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 you know, something sitting in our ears, um, but some sort of visual experience, I think, is going to be uh, beyond just handing, holding, which feels really antiquated now, the iPhone. Yeah, I mean, um, I think what the article says is it's it's a few years away, and it also says we're probably as, in the same way that the phone didn't entirely displace the computer, whatever comes next will probably not entirely displace the phone, but that our uh, our dependency on these two-dimensional screens may be waning as as uh, AI becomes smarter and visual AI in particular, and and you know that ChatGPT can 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 now see and hear and talk, uh, and so you are able to have a much more multi multi-sensorial um, experience. Of course, I there. You already, uh, you know, whenever I drive around, I'm I'm, I'm uh, almost sure one or two pedestrians are going to cross the road looking at the screen on their phone. So if they were wearing glasses and watching a movie while crossing the road, that's also not great. And I think there is a question about what sort of isolation that could create. But we shall see. It's an interesting thought. I suppose the isolation is pretty much. Um created already depending on whether you've got an iphone or some other device it's interesting though yeah i mean i, I only upgrade my iphone now for the camera 
which are spectacular on the 14 and of course they're going to be better on the 15. Okay, let's have a look. Oh, here's some bad news uh, and we need a Podmoji for this. I'm going to stick with you, Claire, please. Uh, we were the first news agency to break the story of um, of the writer's strike um, being resolved. Um, so we, we are expecting some, some kind of uh, award, uh, media award for that. But what we didn't expect was the actor's strike would still rumble on, which is a real shame. So the giraffe has been... Oh, now that is a very good display of emotion. The giraffe, of course, having a long neck. So when you curl it downwards, it looks very sad. So the giraffe's not happy. The actor's strike is still going on and it looks like it might not be resolved for a while. And the the uh, the, the giraffe doesn't like it. Claire? No, this is also from the Detroit Zoo. Same trip as Shrek party. I think that's what made me think of it. Yeah, no, the actor's strike's not, not happening. They were in talks um all through last week, but the talks have broken down, and I think now it's not going to be resolved for, I would say, a few weeks, if not longer. It's not looking good. There's been uh, there's been media briefings on both sides about the other people not playing game, which is never good when you get to that point in the negotiations when people are briefing against each other. Uh, I mean, I'm going to be cynical and say that the studios needed a deal with the writers before their age to result, and now that's happened, and so the pressure is off a little bit, and at some point they will need to solve the right, the actor strikes as well, but they are going to probably um, let it drag as long as they can. I think the actors are being very strict about what they, they, they I think it's a difficult negotiation, let's put it that way, uh, with very, with a lot of people not wanting to, to concede anything. But, but I do think, uh, weirdly, that earning scores have become um, a calendar event for these strikes. And so if you look at the next one, that will give you an idea of when we might have next a breakthrough. But I would say probably not, not immediately. Yeah, it's a shame. Uh, Maureen, we've got a sad giraffe. Um, oh, and here we no, have... We've got a rain, oh, it's a reindeer. A reindeer. A reindeer. Gosh, it's a, a reindeer. pretty beautiful menagerie uh, uh, this week. Yeah. So so this is the representative of the timeline. I don't think we're going to get any resolution before Father Christmas takes his reindeers out. Yeah. Right. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> I think that's probably fair. Yeah, I think yeah. early next year probably. But that's, that's bad news uh, for content. And for it's cinemas. really bad news. It's really bad yeah. news for cinema content. Uh, it means that productions really can't sort of start to accelerate, you know, until they were hoping to sort of get off uh, to a fly starts on November, November, December. But um, it's probably going to not be until 2024. Yeah, bit of a bit of a bit of a blow, bit of a blow. Bit of a downer and unexpected. Let's keep an eye on it. Uh, uh, Maureen, may I stay with you? Oh, this is one you love. You love this one. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. It's the Google antitrust trial. Probably needs some explanation again. And then an emoji, please. Oh, uh, you mean you mean I like the idea of talking about antitrust? Um, well, no, you like the story. Is... Yeah, that's what I meant, really. Yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry. Not, yeah, not that <laughs> you're not trustworthy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so. <laughs> So um, I'm not quite sure how to. I, I find the, I find it entertaining uh, that that with antitrust documentation is either uh, uh, can be shared or doesn't need to be shared, you know. But certain things have been released and unsealed, which I find fascinating because you can imagine a lot of information is uh, is usually presented in a court environment. So so what 
transpires, bottom line is Microsoft sues uh, apparently, you know, is ha unhappy with Google and the way Google talks about, uh, well, the, because Google has dominance and there's no choice. Um, and uh, it just transpires that certain of these documents showed that if you were to test uh, Bing, Microsoft's search engine next to Google, that actually mm, Bing is probably second to Google and probably not as great as Google. OK, on whatever me metrics or whatever uh, um, the whatever criteria. Um, and that's the root cause of this big discussion is, you know, one's better than the other. The other one saying, oh, no, actually, uh, you're not better, but you just have dominance, you know, and you're, you know, you're doing it in a very anti-competitive way. Uh, well, the, 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 let's say the argument uh, falls to Apple that had a choice between Google and, um, and Microsoft and chose to stay with Google because guess what? They looked like they were better. And that is the crux of it. I'm being very, I'm simplifying the entire <laughs> discussion, but that really is the crux of it. <laughs> Bing yet isn't as good as Google. Um, so that's, uh, that's my view. So, um, that's kind of weird. You could put, you could, I could turn this into a duck and go duck, duck, go, duck, duck, go, duck, duck, go, because duck, duck, go was also part of these discussions as well. And, um, uh, but oh. that's for another for another day and another time. Yes. Uh, DuckDuckGo is not as good as Google. Google's the best. It's because it's a cool company. Coders want to work for the cool company. If you're a cooler coder, you don't want to work for Microsoft. It's you're too corporate. That's my view. And, uh, Google will always be my that's preferred search engine. Hmm. I think there's something too. Don't say that to everybody at Activision. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure they'll. I'm sure they're hanging on my every word. Uh, Claire, yes, Claire, we have um, Google Antitrust trial and. Uh, it's the okay, fox again. I'm going to go. This fox is back. The fox is walking forward, walking backwards, walking forwards. Well, I don't see this. Low, I mean, I'd be surprised if this went anywhere fast. Whatever this part of the trial does, whoever doesn't win is going to appeal, and then there'll be an appeal, and then that will there'll be a counter appeal, etc., etc. It's going to drag on. It's interesting, as as Maureen said. I think she's she's put the finger on the interesting bit, which is all the documents are being released and everybody's reading them and finding out lots of things, but whether the actual trial will, trial will change anything in the short term, I am doubtful. And who's going to be the big winner? The lawyers, I guess. Ah, good luck to them. Um, you're always going to need lawyers because there's always going to be arguments. That's what I, that's what I think. Uh, that's great. Thank you. Good, good explanations all and finally and i love this one i think i'm going to go to claire we're going to stay with claire i think you're a fan of if not both of these artists then at least one of them i think and uh one of them i've seen i am a very in awe of these two artists i don't know if i'm a fan of all their music all the time but i have a huge admiration for both of them uh well let's let's and let's just uh, well i tell you what why don't you tell Tell, tell the listeners, who are they talking about? Let us know, Claire. We are talking about Taylor Swift and Beyonce. And Taylor Swift and Beyonce, who are amazing, uh, obviously amazing performers, amazing singers, and, and just icons, both of them in their in their own right. Uh, and now have another uh, thing to, that, that they can be proud of. Apparently, they're saving cinemas. Uh, and this is because uh, Taylor, it started with Taylor, Tay-Tay, as we like to call her. Uh, Tay-Tay wanted to release her concert movie, Eras, 
and they couldn't get a deal, a quick enough deal with the studios. The studios were saying, yeah, we can release it. We've got a slate, but we could release it in 2025. And Tay-Tay was, was going, I don't think that's going to work for me. I want it in the cinemas today. And so they did something, uh, well, her and I think her dad originally did something quite quite unique. They went straight to a movie chain, AMC, a cinema chain, and uh, and got the movie released there. So basically that means they cut out the studio completely. Uh, they are going to make much more money out of it, but also they are saving this movie and then Beyonce doing a similar deal for her concert movie are going to hope to perhaps save uh, the cinema box office this year, which despite Barbie and Oppenheimer was looking like it was going to drive about 20, 20% down on um, on pre on pre pandemic numbers, so still quite low. So yay, Tate and Beyonce saving cinemas, and also good news for anybody who wants to see the movie. And I don't really know what to do as a put emoji um, because I'm not going to impersonate either either well, Taylor. Why or don't you use a fox? If I could, that's what I'd do. Yeah, use a yeah, fox. Yeah, I could use a fox. Look, mm, of course. The fox is dabbing, which has got nothing to do with either of these things, but it's pretty cool anyway. He's happy nice because fox, he can actually, go to, to the fair. cinema and watch the, the Taylor Swift concert. Yeah, happy fox. <laughs> Basically, a fox yeah, can tell fox. any story. Uh, yeah, that's, that's exactly. great. Maureen, your thoughts slash Podmoji. And she's juggling. Oh, she's doing the waterfall juggle. Oh. Actually, that is pretty good. <laughs> oh, yeah, God. I think you're, we're going to be that about the really same good. standard at juggling. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, yes. So, um, yeah, I I, I I agree I agree with, with with Claire. I think this is this is a fantastic move, and uh, it it came left field. Um, there was an interview with Tim Richard uh, from ViewSense Cinemas, and he said, "Whoa, we were we were having a dry period in the, the third and fourth quarter after the summer bonanza. Um, it was really good to see. Um, I can throw out some stats. Actually, it looks like." Um, they're probably going to gross uh, around 240 million domestically in terms of cinemas. And so, of course, AMC only has about 4,000 theatres um, and they are um, uh, going to probably see you know, quite a significant uptick, which is great to see. So that's just four weeks in uh, predicted in, um, in the U.S., so that will be rolled out, you know, internationally. So I think it's, uh, I think it's a really good sign. I think it's a really good thing. You never know. Um, there could be some other, <clears throat> other what's being called events-based um, filming for uh, a reprival for the the cinema chains. So so let's see. Fingers crossed for them. Um, but yeah, I think it's, I think it's a really good move. I can't wait. I'll probably go and see it. I probably can see it as well. Yeah. Again, uh, but not, trip. Not, Let's not, go together. Not for, go trip. But but did you see? Did you see it was something like a hundred and eighty minutes or something like that? It's like it's going to be a long one though. It's going to be a long one. Yeah, but it's trip. probably going go to go up for yes. uh, for for Imagine. the Oscars and the Baftas as well because the, you have to you have to be oh. in the cinemas by December in order to be to qualify for awards. So, yeah. She could, mm. uh, she could make it. And to her credit, Tay-Tay, she negotiated an exception. She went to the Actors' Union, SAG after, and, and, and negotiated an exception so that she could release the movie. Because obviously the reason there's a dry spell in, in cinemas at the moment is is very largely due to the, to the ongoing strike. Yeah, she did. Uh, and you were right, it was her dad. Her dad basically, well, the article I read, the dad um, said, oh, my God, what are we going to do? And he went to one of his friends who was, uh, um, I think it was a CNBC um, anchor. So, yeah, smart, smart move. Smart move, daddy. 
Old Hank Swift. I don't know what his name is, but they, she's kind of country, right? Um, <laughs> I think it's Hank. Je- I, je- I think it's. Oh, Jeff, I think his Jeff. name's Scott. His name's Scott. 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 Don't you don't don't you Scott worry, honey. Swift. Yes. You'll get that movie in the in the cinemas, honey. Don't you worry. No, and I think she talked like that. Actually. So uh, I, I set a little quiz before that about which uh, which of those artists I've seen. And uh, about ten years ago, my daughter made me go and see Taylor Swift, and she was extraordinary. She was outstanding. She played guitar, she played keyboard, she sang, she can dance, she's beautiful, she's charismatic, she's sincere. She dealt with the enormous audience they had eating out the palm of her hand. What an artist. I'm really, (laughs) was really impressed by her. Good old Taylor. I'm a, I'm a, what are you for your Taylor Swift fan? Are you a tater? A potato? You're a Swifty. Yeah, well, no, I'm, no, I'm you're definitely a Swifty, both her and her dad, for that matter. Love the family. Uh, that was great. Oh, my word, we've gone over the hour. Uh, that's naughty, isn't it? We shouldn't really do that. But it's been great. High energy all the way through. So, uh, damn it, let's not edit it too much. Because um, that's just worked for me. Um, I think we're at the end. Uh, ladies, that was an awesome one. Loved every minute. Uh, learnt a lot. Laughed a lot. Cried a little. Um, so uh, we have to go and uh, the only thing I have to do of course is to say my deepest um, gratitude to Claire and goodbye goodbye Oliver and thank you and ditto to Maureen farewell for now thank you Oliver Uh, like I said we're gathering listeners and followers on the LinkedIn page every day please like and subscribe comment and also if you go to the LinkedIn page by typing in the media beat uh, podcast on LinkedIn.com in search bar for suggestions for the deep dive with Claire for now all I have to say is goodbye see you on the next one farewell uh, have a good one and bye bye